Welcome to League One Fun, presented by the Beautiful Game Network and brought to you by Roughneck Scarves and Golden Gold Press. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. I'm Ira Jersey, and with me tonight, we're rotating in Elliot from River City 93. Elliot, welcome back to League One Fun. What's up, man? I want you to know, it took you like three times to get Golden Gold Press. Uh, you uh, got to figure out an easy yeah, way. You, know, you had to in. say it. I could edit all that out. You know, come on. <laughs> Let everyone know that I can't talk tonight. That's not a great way to start the show. Um, so, so Elliot, Look, you... I mess up every time about podcast. <laughs> so Elliot, <laughs> River City ninety three was on the road this week, and uh, one of the interviews uh, that I suggest that people go and listen to from your your trip down to the peninsula is was with Coach Bulo, and Coach Bulo, you know, he he said the right thing and told everyone that you know you were the podcast for <laughs> USL League One, and that League One fun, you know. Eh. You know, you, you gave him. You gave him money. You know, he got. He got <laughs> No, definitely not. I mean, I might have gave him some ribs and some Hennessy, but that's a totally different story. Um, no, <laughs> but no. I mean, he got to rip the whole team. You that's- can't. You can't not just forget about the whole team podcast. So, so those of you who uh, who haven't listened to it, please listen back to River City ninety three. Did some great interviews about a USL League Two team, and uh, you know, Elliot, why don't you just give us a little preview of who you talked to in that podcast? Yeah, so we went on the um, road for our friendly against Lionsbridge FC, who plays in USL League Two, which is League Below, you know, League One. Um, we talked to the Friends of the Bridge, who is the supporters group. Uh, we also talked to Coach Christopher Wiley, who, interestingly enough, is also the head coach for Chawan's men's soccer program down there. He coaches there from the fall, and then he comes up to coach Lionsbridge in the spring and summer. Uh, I thought that was also, an, I thought that was an incredibly interesting interview, by the way, that you guys did, um, because, you know, you don't realize that, you know, coaches need to coach year round. And if you love coaching so much that there's college coaches that the thing that USL League Two allows you to do is to do both. Right. And and so yeah, you're yeah. actually coaching most of the year. Yeah. And then also the other thing to it, about because I'm not gonna lie, I was ignorant about the situation about how like college soccer is granted i never played it but you always hear about there's no reason to have college soccer it's pointless get rid of it but then talking to an actual college coach who said no you know the college system is not perfect and he didn't even downplay he literally said it's not perfect but he said it gives players an opportunity who want know that soccer they can't make a career from it but then it also gives players an opportunity to get um, to try different tactics in different forms. Because, you know, if you're a player, you get signed by a team, you're pretty much in one system the whole time unless you can call them national side, things like that. But he said a lot of these players, when they play college and then they sign for a League Two team, get a get amateur status, which I – and still try to work that out with NCAA. But in, in his team alone, he has players from Campbell, I think one from Austria that's getting transferred to Maryland, another one from Georgetown and in and around the um, – the uh, Peninsula region. So it's just an interesting story about how, and a lot of his coaches are from different college programs. Like I think he has a coach from army and another one from um, James Madison on his staff. And then they go back and then they scout. So it's kind of interesting to see. Um, we also did interviews with Mike Vest, who is the owner of Lions Bridge FC. Of course we did interviews with Joe Rice, who was the homecoming, homecoming King. Um, <laughs> he got to play 60 minutes. Um, I'm not going to lie. Like that crowd loves him. And Lionsbridge, look, amateur hour soccer um, did a podcast before us interviewing Lionsbridge, and those guys did a great job. Lionsbridge FC brings it because I'm not like we were beating them five nothing in the 85th minute, and it was still packed. Like there were still two thousand people there, full out to the brim. So it's it's a it's an interesting place to be, and I'm surprised there's not even a higher division soccer team in that region. You know, for it to be such a hotbed in Virginia soccer. Yeah, I've I've heard I've heard before that um that USL was interested maybe in, in Newport News or something like that for either a League One or a championship team. So you know maybe yeah. in the future that can happen. That would make a nice rivalry for you guys for uh, for Richmond Kickers. But let's turn our yeah, attention now to USL League One. Uh, so the news this week is this week is Cleat Week, which means that each team will have their own custom designed footwear. For the games this upcoming weekend, you can go on the USL League One website and vote for your favorite, and you even rank all of them. So I did that. Elliot, have you done that yet? And if you did, besides the kickers at the top, you know, who was your second favorite? (laughs) 
you know I'm laughing because you know I put kickers number one. I think. Oh yeah, I, I know that you did. <laughs> no, nah, I did. Cause the ain't gonna lie, them cleats are fresh. Um, to be honest with you, I was kind of disappointed in North Texas because I feel like there's a lot more you could have done with that shoe. Oh, you I yeah, I agree. I agree. They they you know um, you know what I didn't like? I didn't like the ones with logos with the names on them. And North Texas was yeah. one of those that did, and it just it just it looked kind of cheesy, quite frankly. So. Yeah. I mean, like the Richmond, the Richmond Kickers one has the Kickers logo, but there's so much more integrating to it. Like it puts the supporter on. Well, that. there's not four words. It doesn't say you know. It doesn't say Richmond Kickers Soccer Club, and yeah, <laughs> that you can't possibly exactly. Read. It just looks, it just looks out of place. Um, Greenville shoe, I feel like could have been better. Oh, Greenville's Greenville's look like I. I even have a note in our show notes. Greenville boots look like mint candy canes. Exactly. That's, <laughs> I just want to lick them and. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what i i, I really I like say, the uh, i really like the lansing uh i thought the lansing design was really good um anyway that that yeah, was my personal cool. favorite Orlando richmond CB second has some good cleats Orlando oh you CB like the ocb ones good. yeah those i were, did those because were, yeah. what they did with the logo was sweet i think even on the bottom of it or somewhere it had like a logo or something so that was kind of sweet yeah it was just Tucson, the logo like it wasn't been too busy yeah yeah tucson i felt like could have been better well, anyway, go on the website, and uh, next week maybe we'll uh, we'll note who the winner of that particular fan vote is. But you know, there I don't want to say that this is expansion news. I want to say that this is expansion rumors coming out. So one of the rumors that hit yeah. the Twittersphere was the New England Revolution potentially starting a USL League One team next year. Somewhere a little bit unclear as to where. You know, some people want it in Providence. Other people are saying, uh, you, you know, maybe maybe elsewhere. You know, obviously some people say. You know, they want the Revs to have a stadium in the city like everyone probably does, but they won't. Another one uh, that you noted, Elliot, was uh, Queens, uh, a potential USL League One team for NYCFC. Uh, you know, we were talking about this before we started. I had, I grew up on Long Island. Um, I knew some people who played for the Long Island Rough Riders. Maybe NYCFC should consider going in there for the hostile takeover of the Rough Riders. It wouldn't be the first time that something like that happened. And uh, and, no, and maybe you can make that program really good. Yeah, I mean, it would be smart to do. You already got established team there. You know, go in and take advantage of it. I mean, it would be cool to have a team in Queens, but I feel like there's other parts of New York that you can go to. Like you said, Long Island, you can hit that. I feel like with the revolution, if they're going to do USL1, it would be cool to do the championship, but maybe not because you already have Hartford there already with Connecticut. Providence would be dope. Um, maybe even Delaware if you go down that far. I don't know if that's in that range. Yeah, I wonder if – yeah, well, so Wilmington would be far too close to Philadelphia, I think. But maybe if you went down toward Dover. Um, I know that there's actually a yeah. big soccer park and there's a lot of people who play down there. I don't know if if uh, there would be a decent ownership group down there but you know the west coast still doesn't have any uh, anything right so we're going to have we're going to have omaha obviously we're going to we still will have tucson but it seems like there still has to be a lot of opportunity out west like in you know maybe somewhere like iowa where where there there is a number of usl2 teams so maybe some of them uh, will their ownership groups will consider maybe uh, self-promoting up to uh, USL League One. North Texas SC uh, <laughs> signed on loan Richard Dosso, who uh, is from the West Africa Football Academy in Ghana, and he's the same place as a player from your team, Elliot, came from. So another Ghanaian coming into the league. The, the Ghanaian Le- Premier League actually isn't playing right now. They actually folded their season partway through. I don't know what the status is and if they're going to try and play again starting in, in the fall. But, uh, you know, obviously some players want to play. And, you know, how, how's your person from the uh, from Wafa Academy in Ghana worked out so far? Um. Well, I mean, considering that the kickers have not been the best, not the best, but – I mean, he's had big performances. Uh, definitely the Virginia United game. I believe he scored four. He scored four in that U.S. Open Cup game. He's a very young player. Um, I think he is 17 or 18 years old, so very young, very raw. But you can see he has talent. I think he's learning how to play the position that fits best for him. Either he wants to be a striker or a winger. I think he's still trying to learn, you know, how to exploit space and things like that. You can see the talent. Um you know, it's kind of hard to scout players from Ghana because there's not a lot of news coming out of there knowing how well these players are and even if they can meet the level. But I think it's a good proving ground to come into USL League 1 and to see how they're going to do. 
All right. Uh, and, you know, I think some other news that's worthy of uh, talking about is a little bit about attendance figures so far. So we, we had some pretty nice attendance this weekend. I think, you know, summer rolled around, a lot of people looking for things to do on the weekends that are pretty cost-effective and fun times. Mm-hmm. You had both Madison and Lansing with over 4,000 fans this weekend. Richmond, unfortunately, in, in their loss that we'll get to a little bit later, but that you guys had 3,300 folks out there. Section O, again, really loud. Um you know, averaging this season, so far we had Madison had, has averaged over 4,100 fans per match, uh, per home match. Richmond, 3,455. Lansing, 2,800. Greenville, 2,500. Chattanooga, 2,200. And then you get down toward Tormenta at 1,800 and FC Tucson at 1,200. And I won't talk about the other two teams that only have uh, under 1,000 per, <laughs> per match and even in the hundreds. Uh, so follow Mike Pendleton at Fat P H A T seven Deuce. That's P H A T seven D U D E U C E to get these attendance figures. It's pretty cool. He puts it out. Uh, you know, similar to how I do the points per game ranking, he puts out uh, attendance numbers not only for USL League One but also for USL Championship. Um, so far, Madison has had twenty nine thousand fans come through their gates. The kickers have had 27,000 and Lansing almost 23,000. So, you know, that's that's decent numbers coming to uh, cheer on local soccer. Uh, and then finally, in a little bit of news, is uh, Rafa Mensigan was named the player of the week for Lansing Ignite. Uh, he had a goal and two assists in two matches, and we'll, uh, we'll highlight some of those in the not-too-distant future. Was there anyone else that w- would have been on your short list this week, do you think, uh, Elliot, for um, for player of the week? No, I think Rafa deserved it. Um, didn't Cleveland get Player of the Month? Uh, Cleveland. I mentioned that last week. Cleveland got goal, uh, Player of the Month for June. So we're uh, June? okay. You know, yeah. So I know. I know they only. I think today received their little plaques for. Um, okay. For for receiving that. So let's go on to week 16 results. I just want to revisit something that I did mention last week on the show, and that was the uh, the. Lansing Ignite versus Madison match that happened on Tuesday. Uh, you know, we briefly talked about it, but Elliot, you, you know, I know that you've seen the last seven minutes of this match. You know, a- oh, yeah. any any thoughts about it? You know, a week later now, we're talking about you know Mensigan's goal in the 92nd minute. Uh, that was one where he took off his shirt, took a yellow card, thought he had just scored the winner, um, and then JC Banks just the 90 seconds later comes back and gets you know winds up being a, a cross from Paolo Jr. and Cleveland's not able to hold on to it and J.C. Banks is there for the tap-in. And then on the other side, uh, another minute later, Bruce gets a ball from Mensigan, a deep pass um, that uh, Bruce kind of gets a lucky touch, but he's able to run onto it and uh, in stride with his left and then finishes it with his right, which was definitely the uh, – Definitely an amazing way to end that particular match. Uh, you know, you have any thoughts about this match? And uh, if, if so, what are they? Whew. First of all, outside of Ford and Chattanooga, and I think we talked about Twitter, like having the best Derby just for off the field stuff. I feel like Lansing and Madison is going to be the best Derby on the field just because of J.C. Banks' celebration. Like, the man literally scored and wiped his head with the – the team flag, like that's yeah, and and that flag had that flag had the logo on it. Um, yeah, top, top, <laughs> top, mm, perfect banter. But I mean, unfortunately, you let up a goal in the last minute of the game. Um, no, like I feel like this is the goal, this is the game that should be one game of the year, and then also this should be the, the game that if USL is going into like these small markets, it'd be like you can have this. And they'll just show, like, the last three minutes to any and everyone. Like, it was it was top-notch. Like, it was a great game, full of excitement. And you could just see, like, the pure passion from the players as it went on. Like, I mean, it's not really much to say. It's the best game of the year. It probably will be the game of the year. Yeah, so, you know, some people have been talking about, you know, Madison and Lansing being rivals. I think it's games like this that turn them into rivals, right? Like, this is where rivalries are built, is games like this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Like, you need, in order for it to be a rivalry, you need to have, like, those controversial controversial moments, those moments where the fans just feel like, yo, we cannot stand that player. Like, I'm pretty sure the next time Ford 
plays in Lansing and J.C. Banks is on the field, I feel like, you know, I feel like um, the assembly line is going to have, like, some choice words for J.C. Banks. There's got to be some kind of TIFO, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, most definitely. And I feel like Ford will have the same thing. Like, I mean, granted, they are both regional rivals, and I feel like that's what USL wanted was the regional rivalry to work out. But this, it was perfect, man. Yeah. All right, and moving on to games that we didn't talk about uh, on last week's show, let's go to Friday at 4 p.m. Again, another daytime game. Uh, we talked about this with Jason not so long ago. But Toronto Football Club 2 scored three goals against South Georgia Tormenta. That's two losses in a row for South Georgia uh, Tormenta. Not something that has happened all season. This was only their second and third loss of the year. You had goals in the 28th minute by Matthew Serbly, uh, who Dorsey crossed the ball in from the wide area. Serbly was on the left-hand side. He was making a nice run. Josh Phelps got over to him, and I think Josh thought that he had won the ball and, and cleared it, but he got really unlucky, and the ball bounced off of him and right at the feet of Serbly, who then finished it. Um, it was really quite a uh, it was really quite a nice run from Serbly, but Josh Phelps got very unlucky there that the ball didn't uh, didn't get cleared from Serbly's feet. In the 38th minute, Jordan Peruza scores a uh, from Jaden Nelson. Um, so uh, O'Kelly wins uh, O'Kello, excuse me, wins the ball after pressuring <laughs> at midfield. Uh, Nelson then hits a nice through ball to an on running Peruza. There was an offside shout, but of course. Uh, the, the flag did not go up. It, it was really hard to tell from the camera angle um, where exactly Perusa was when the ball was played and where also all three players on the back line of South Georgia Tormenta were. Um, either way, I think it was really close, so I think you have to give the refs the benefit of the doubt. But that left Perusa one-on-one with the keeper, and he just doesn't miss those at all. So Perusa with another one. Uh, oh. Patrick Bunk-Anderson uh, finishes things off in the 78th minute. Uh, it's a set piece from about 40 yards out. Um, no one from Tormenta followed the run of Bunk Anderson, and he was able to put away a nice cross from Griffin Dorsey from, uh, like I said, 40 yards out at the back post, and Bunk Anderson uh, finished it with his feet, by the way. It was not a classic uh, Patrick Buck Anderson header. It was all uh, all with his feet. Um, Tormenta did have some dangerous chances here. They could easily have gotten a goal or two. Um, you know, a couple of losses in a row. So one of the questions that we had later, maybe we should actually answer here. So one of the fan mm-hmm. questions that we got was, is this a slide for South Georgia Tormenta or just a, uh, or should people be worried? So is this, so the actual question is, should Tormenta be concerned or is this just a rough patch? Elliot, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, ooh, I, I was going to ask you the same thing. Uh, I, I do think Tormenta should be worried a little bit because – you know, Tormenta has been top of the league, you know, second place for a long time. Um, to go up to Toronto, I don't know if it was midweek, but they did catch them off guard. I do think it might be a slide for them, though. I can see them possibly falling out of second, maybe even third place, and being that borderline fourth place team if they don't get things corrected. One worrying sign for me is the lack of creativity. I mean, they granted, they create chances, but do they create enough chances, you know, yeah, their def- that, that's a very good. That, I think that's a very good point because their defense had really been what kept them in a lot of games where they were winning games, you know, one nothing, two one. So it wasn't like they have blown out a lot of teams. So they really do have to start making more chances. And you know, in fairness, in this game, uh, Fillion made the, the goalkeeper for Toronto made a, a few great saves. And in fact, in the 60th minute, Micheletto had uh, had had one that. He was put through, and and Fillion made a great save. And then there was also another one-on-one um, later when uh, uh, when Fillion just made himself big and was able to to make the nice save. So, you know, quite frankly, if Fillion didn't stand on his head, this could have maybe been a, a two-two match because obviously that changes things if there's a goal or two, yeah. and you know TFC wouldn't be pressing, right? You 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 end up playing much more offensive when it's two-nil than when you do when it's two-one, right? You don't want to give up that lead again, so you you, you maybe yeah. are, are willing to absorb a little bit more pressure. And I mean, I'm not, like I'm not gonna lie, like Toronto at home is a totally different team than Toronto's on the road. It's a totally different team, and I don't know if South Georgia fell into that trap, but, you know, they have everything there. I think they rely – like, we made the point. 
they rely a lot on their defense. They're a great defensive squad, so they they haven't had to been they haven't been forced offensively to you know create a lot of chances and a lot of bricks have gone their way. Um, hopefully this week they can get out of it, get out of the funk, but we'll see. You know. Well, something that I think they're certainly going to be hoping for. I, I think the other thing that's happened too, quite frankly, is that now that, now that there's enough tape on how South Georgia plays, um, I think that that's something that um, some teams are taking advantage of and looking for some of those seams to get into. And I think on Peruza's goal in particular, you kind of saw that that if he was able to get in the seam between um, be, between the right center back and and the center center back, um, he knew that he could probably beat them for pace, and that's that's exactly what happened. Moving on to yeah. another match. Um, let's go on to Saturday. We had Greenville Triumph scored one against Orlando City B, another loss for Orlando City. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about their form. Um, it's a uh, form that's just as bad as, as your team, Elliot. So uh, there was a very long rain delay in about the 20th minute. Um, but uh, there was a there was a little bit of a there was a foul in the box in the 18th minute. Uh, Jake Keegan steps up and his PK is saved. So Jake <laughs> Keegan uh, he put it kind of put it on a platter. It was not a great PK in in all uh, in all honesty. The ball was about midway up on the left hand side. Herrera guessed right. Had Herrera obviously dove the other way, then uh, it would have been a goal. But he was able to uh, to guess correctly, and he was able to get his his right hand on the ball and uh, and and save the uh, and put it out for a corner. Um, but Aaron Walker did break through in the 88th minute. Um, you know, Christopher uh, Bermudez was given the assist. Um, Bermudez came on as a sub. He's been coming on as an impact sub, and there's a question about him a little bit later that we'll get to. Um, but uh, the way that this goal happened is the ball was on the left-hand side. There was a cross that came in that was blocked. Bermudez kind of gets the ball and flicks it over while he's getting fouled, and he ends up on the ground. Um, the ball drops to Walker, who just shoots from the top of the uh, the top of the D, a long range shot. You know, w- one thing that Greenville hasn't done much of, and that's uh, take a lot of long range shots. This one did, I, I think. And and Elliot, help me out here because I think Christian Herrera maybe saw this late. Like I, I don't really understand why he didn't dive. It it seemed like it wasn't that far away from him, really. So um, either he was wrong footed, I guess, or he just. Just salt late. You know, do, do you have any? Well, what are your thoughts on that goal? Well, as an amateur goalkeeper, Ira, I have the perfect analysis. As someone who gives up a bunch of easy goals. Well, well you, um, you and Jason. Oh <laughs> um, no, I think he just. I think he really just anticipates the shot wrong. I think he expects it to go in one direction, and all of his momentum going that way. And then when he sees it and realizes, like, oh, it's going the other direction. It's too little, too late. You know. Is nothing really as a goalkeeper he could have done. You know, if you're going left and the ball's going right, it, there's no way you can get there. Um, I'm not going to lie. I feel like that rain delay, I know we're kind of going off topic. I feel like that rain delay came in the perfect moment for Greenville because, you know, after they missed the PK, the rain delay happened. I think they kind of just kind of settled everyone down because how many times have we seen teams kind of just been like, oh, we missed the PK, we got to hurry up and rush. And they kind of just settled them down. You know, granted, they didn't score again to the 88th minute, but it would have been very easy for them to be panicking and Orlando City B to counter them and score on them. So I think it was a little, you know, it was really, it was a typical Greenville game in that they had a fair amount of the ball. Um, they had 58, yeah. 58% possession. They did try 22 crosses. Uh, they did connect on four of them. And, you know, they, they had uh, they had four shots on target. So they they were getting the ball up. And, and the way that I think Greenville really won the, the battle in the midfield. So Greenville, and that's one of the reasons why they had a lot of the ball. OCB was looking to possess, but Greenville really made it uncomfortable for them to do that. Um, but even when they got the ball, they, you know, they weren't particularly dangerous. And, you know, Greenville had, had to do better. And, it, you know, it was kind of weird to me because watching the first 20 minutes of the game, you know, you had a decent crowd. It was pretty loud. You know, everyone knew weather might come. The weather came. And then afterward, there was hardly anyone in the crowd. Like, I, like, I don't know if there were more than a handful of people <laughs> on the far side. And on the near side, maybe there were, you know, you could hear a little bit of cheering. But, you know, it couldn't have been more than a couple of dozen people, which was very unfortunate because. It's not enough ultras in the crowd. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Taking <laughs> off their shirts and. Yeah, you know, uh, so 
I do think that Greenville, you know, Greenville deserved this win, quite frankly, because I think they outplayed OCB. But at the same time, I, I still think that this they're going back to having their problems scoring. Uh, but they get the three points at home, and that's what's important right now in this league. Hey, it is. I, I feel like that's what that's what Hearts wants to do. Like, it's just whatever it takes, get the game over. We get the 1-0 win. Let's keep moving forward. And that's what he did. Fair enough. Anything else on this game, Elliot? Nope. <laughs> okay. Uh, so moving on to a game, uh, Lansing's second game of the week, Lansing Ignite 2 versus FC Tucson, also 2. This one we got to talk about a little bit, Elliot. There was a little bit of controversy in this one. So let's let me quickly go through the goals. Any top Lance's involved. <laughs> Maybe that's possible. So, uh, you know, the, the Capital Combustion guys seem to think that, you know, maybe there's an unspoken conspiracy going on or something against them, uh, you know, officiating wise and stuff. So, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, Robinson Moshabane scores in the 26th minute off a penalty kick. He was taken down by Howell. It was a little bit soft, but definitely I, I would have called it a foul personally. And a foul in the box gives you a pen. And it was a very nice, uh, a, a nice PK taken into the upper left corner. But then uh, Ramon Howell makes up for it because in the 34th minute, there's a bad giveaway by Koifik, by Koifik in the middle of, of the field. He tries to force a pass. I, I don't know who he was trying to aim for. You can't quite see it that well on the ESPN Plus broadcast. But uh, he was able to uh, – it was taken uh, – uh, intercepted Howell takes a long touch between two defenders and then runs onto it uh it's it's like something you see sometimes in like a u10 soccer game where someone just like kicks the ball past a couple of players and then runs because they're the fastest player on the field so Howell just makes a crazy run uh catches up to the ball shoots low and it does go through Cleveland's legs so you know I'm going to call it I'm still going to call it a meg uh and the ball winds up in the back of the net so I I don't know did you see this goal Elliot have have you seen this one I didn't see it personally but it yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it, basically so, someone has to someone has to step in front of Howell. But I, I think the you know the worry is if you're a d- defender like one of those two defenders that gets split by that kind of touch between them is if you foul him there, it might be dog so right. It might be a denial of a goal scoring opportunity, and if it is, then you end up with you know getting a red card, and, and that leaves your your team. Yeah, so it's like. As a defender, you're caught in a catch-22. Like, do I foul him and possibly not get a record, or do I let him go and hope for the best? Okay. Yeah, and quite frankly, Cleveland had C- Cleveland had cut down the angle and got kind of unlucky to, to get megged on, on that one. Yeah. Yeah, so then uh, – but – That's uh, the second week in a row he's got it megged, right? Uh, <laughs> if – is is it the second – yeah, I guess it's it's the second time in three games, I think, yeah. <laughs> so I think that's yeah. right. He's got it megged. Yeah. Um, I mean, you make yourself big, and and that happens. Um, it happens a lot. Like, like my son and I were watching a bunch of games and it happens a lot in the premier league. It happens. It happens just about everywhere. I know, it, the, fa- the famous game was with, um, T- uh, Tibor Kotas. Remember he got nutmeg like, yeah. like, three times against Messi. Like, Messi, yeah. I mean, Grant is Messi, but he got nutmeg three times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you did that I'm in one like, game? Dude. It's not very good. Uh, so Moshabane scores again in the 49th minute. Another uh, another assist from uh, Mensigan. Uh, Koifik uh, hit a great direct over ball. So so this ball actually starts next to the Lansing 18 yard box, and Koifik just hits a beautiful 60 yard, maybe 70 yard, what the Total Soccer Show guys would call a direct over ball to Mensigan, who's running, uh, who's running onto uh, onto it, and 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 the ball just like lands. It's almost like one of those, you, you know, one of those football plays, Elliot. You know, where where the receiver's just running and yeah. like takes it in stride. That's what that looked like to me. I mean, I'm sure it's not exactly yeah. practiced that way, but it totally looked like that. And then Mensigan, I mean, hey, look, yeah. That boy has some pace on him. Because I'm watching, I'm like, where is the defense? Like, he literally <laughs> just ran a nine route, and the whole defense was just like, no, nah, no, nah, he's going to be outside. And I don't, like, he literally caught in his stride, scored, and just like, <sighs> Lord Jesus, what no yeah. one to catch him on so, that play. 
Yeah. So so Mensigan gets the ball. He winds up at the at the corner of the other eighteen. Cuts it. Cuts the ball back, and he hits uh, Moshabane, who's running, making a late run into space that was vacated by Jones because Jones was making a near post run in case uh, Mensigan actually just squared the ball over to him or did like a low hard cross. Um, but but. Quite frankly, Mensigan makes the better choice and uh, and gets it back to Moshabane, who takes one really uh, really deft touch with his left foot, shifts his body, like actually turns his body about forty five degrees, and then hits uh, and then hits his curling left footed shot and hits side netting. It was a a thing of beauty. Um, we can talk a little bit about that, yeah, but but Moshabane really impressed me in in, in this game. Uh, and then let's go for some controversy here, Jordan Jones scores a penalty kick. So this was a handball that was called. There was a cross that came in from the right, and two players went up for the ball. And the ball, if it hit a hand, it looks actually like it would have been the the uh, Tucson player's hand, not one of the Lansing player's hands. And, um, you know, apparently Nate Miller was, uh, you know, Nate Miller was apparently right next to the fourth official who said, Hey, we're uh, you know that did not hit off the Lansing fan, uh, the Lansing's hand, and the referee did not change the call and, and stayed with the penalty kick. Uh, Jordan Jones takes the kick. It's a fine pen. You know, it winds up. It, it's you know, I think it might be hard to see in real time, but at the same time, you know, what do we think about this? You know, do we think do, do we think the refereeing is really that bad in this league that you know we we can't. I mean, I mean, this was a game-changing incident, right? This wasn't a. This was two. Oh points, yeah, definitely. Two points lost because definitely of this one so. incident. Um. Okay. I need to know this information first before I start this rant. Are the leagues? Are the referees in this league? Are they full time or part time? So that's a good question. So the 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 they are assigned by pro. So they're assigned by the professional referee organization. Um. Uh. You know. This is something that, that actually we should probably do for the Beautiful Game Network. Someone named Ira Jersey should probably do some research on and find out like our how the pool, how the referee pool is made. Because you know one of the things is yeah. that with all the expansion, with a lot of championship teams, with NWSL, with USL League One, the need for more referees is very high. And I think one of the things that happens is it's hard to you know, train referees on a regular basis. You can't just say, Hey, we suddenly need 25 new referees who can referee hmm. at the professional level. Sound like you can make that same argument for putting coaching badges at a reasonable level and then expanding them, you know, to the urban community. <laughs> I sound like a conspiracy. Theory, but you know, Hey, whatever. Um, it, it is. No, I mean, it is like, difficult. Honestly, it is quite frankly, it is difficult to get to that level. So just, you know, for, for some color, you know, I am a, I am a youth referee. I've coached hundreds of matches in order to, Ooh. in order to move up to, um, to a, uh, the next level. Now, now they are changing what, what they, what they call this. They're going to call it grassroots referees versus others. But, you know, I, I do U18 games. Um, I, I've refereed U19 games and, and, you know, those are, those are professional, right? These are college kind of age kids and you have to be really fit in order to yeah. referee those matches. So there, there's fitness, but then there's also kind of maturity and knowledge and, you know, if you're trying to build referees, you know, you still have a long window. You, you know, there's very few referees who are 50 something years old because you can't keep up with the play um, as you get older. I mean, it's kind of like how, you know, players basically don't play past 35 at a professional level for the most part. Yeah, I think in Champions League, doesn't in Champions League they have a rule? Is it the Champions League or FIFA for the World Cup? Like once you hit the age of 40 or 45, like you can no longer referee because of like you said, the fitness. Yeah, well, I'm not sure. If, I'm not sure that. Too. Yeah, I'm not sure if there's an age restriction. Um, there is. Uh, th- there are when you get up to wh- when you get up to the the better levels, what they call regional referees and and things like that. Yeah. There are fitness tests that you have to pass. So you have to do shuttle runs. You have to do a a, a distance test. So you know you have to pass fitness cool. tests, and and those get harder obviously as you go up more. Um, <laughs> and they and they have camps. I mean, people don't realize this, but referees when they what be, they have a preseason so in january they all get together and they do fitness just like the players do and you know they they have practice games and they referee the preseason games that that t- mls teams and other teams play in so yeah. you know there is a preseason 
them. And you know, I, I my feeling is is that the, the referees will get better. It's just a matter of of how much time it will take, and will these referees stay with it? Because if they're criticized so much for you know calling the game that they see, will they come back? So anyway, get, yeah, go on with your rant, Elliot. This please. is this is a First Amendment country. So. Once again, after point. Yeah, um, I would say this. If we're using VAR and MLS, we need to bring VAR to USL Championship League 1 and League 2. It needs to happen. We have the ability, If you're able to have ESPN Plus set up in all these USL stadiums and whatnot, there's no reason why we can't have VAR. Um, now, is VAR perfect? Would it solve everything? No. You're still going to have human error. I mean, case in point, you saw it in your game, the New York Red Bulls and NYCFC game. Granted, I totally believe that was the right call, but, you know, does VAR help? Yes. I think these refs are – I don't believe there's enough resources to make refs the best that they can be. And it's the same problem, like, for example, like the NFL. Like, I think it was maybe two, three years ago where the NFL refs were just completely horrible. But then they started talking about making them full-time and having these guys, like, this is your sole job. Now, can USL do that? No. But increase the pay, try to get better refs, you know, increase the pool of referees might help out. Yes. Yeah, I think if you give refs every tool possible to make the right call, nine times out of ten, they will make the right call. It's an interesting idea because, you know, the thing about VAR is you could actually have more experienced refs be in the VAR booth as well, right, and, and help them. I mean, it is – I think that the, the only thing with that is that for USL League One, you need more cameras, and it also – you need at least two or three people in the VAR booth so you can do the, the video editing and things like that. But, uh, you know, it is probably something that at some point should probably be tried out. I mean, especially since USL was the first place yeah. they tried VAR. Right, we were the you know USL champ. What's now USL championship was the test case for video. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was Richmond in New York. Matter of fact, that was the first game to have VAR. And I think I don't. I can't remember how they did it, but it's not hard. Like if you have all of these guys commentating the game out of the ESPN office, how hard is it to set up a VA, VAR office for USL and championship where you just have? Three, four, I mean, three or four refs watching. Actually, that's that's a great idea and a good point because that's exactly how the Bundesliga does it. So, you know, in in MLS, most of the time the VAR is on site, but I believe in the Bundesliga, um, they have like a central location where all of the the VARs live. Um, That's a a really interesting idea. So So one more note about this game. Yeah, that, that's that's a good idea. Yeah, especially for a game-changing incident like that one, right? So um, exactly. you can say, you know, this was clear and obvious error or not. So in this game, I, you know, tactically, I wanted to mention one other thing. So this is from the uh, from the Lansing side. So so Koifik actually stayed home in this one. So you know, he Koifik generally, uh, you know, he or Nick Moon would often would often run the sidelines. But in this particular game, Koifik stayed home, and he was rarely in the offensive half of the field. So if you go to USL League One and and this match, and you look at the um, you look at the heat map for them, Nick Moon's running up and down the whole left side, but Koifik rarely goes into the offensive half. He has 78 passes, 85% passing accuracy. And I think what happened here, and, and this was the interesting thing that Nate Miller, Coach Nate Miller did, was I think he wanted Koifik to cover Devin Jamga because I think he just wanted to stop the counterattack, wanted to stop Jamga from getting in behind. And it seemed to me like he did a you know Koifik by not – going up and vacating that space and letting Devin uh, run in behind, he was able to do that. And and because Koifik was there too, he also opened a lot of space for Mensigan uh, to create further up the field. So I, I think that was, uh, I think that was a pretty interesting tactical thing. So if you go back and you watch this game, which was, I, I did, I mean, even though there was controversy, I thought it was a pretty good match overall. Um, you know, look out for that. Just watch what, what Kevin Koifik is doing during a lot of this match. Moving on to the one that you don't want to talk about, Elliot, um, so we can keep it short if you want, or you can feel free to. <laughs> I am a uh, I am a shoulder. Consider me your uh, consider me your sounding board. But the Richmond Kickers hosted North Texas, and North Texas scored two, while the Kickers were not able to get on the board. Uh, the first goal in the eleventh minute by. Um, by Thomas Roberts. Um, interesting on this one. I- I've rewatched this goal 
I don't know, 10 times probably. And Ronaldo Damas is credited with the assist, but the assist should have been given to Ricardo Pepe. So if USL uh, headquarters you're listening, uh, you might want to update your records because I'm pretty sure Damas did not actually touch the ball. Ricardo Pepe, uh, uh, Damas did have the ball. He winds up passing it to Pepe, who's back from his uh, his spell with the first team. And Pepe tries to get it back to uh, Damas for a given goal, goal, but Damas actually misses it. And the ball winds up on the foot of Thomas Roberts, who um, interestingly was noted as a defender, but really played much more as a number six in this game, uh, more of a de- holding midfielder. And he basically makes a little bit of a run. He faces up like he's going to pass it maybe through to an on-running uh, Ronaldo Damas, but instead he actually takes a shot. And uh, Elliot, you guys noted that Akira Fitzgerald uh, on your podcast was off the line on the six. Um, I, I don't. I think he was thinking that he was going to try and post up or get ready for a one-on-one, but um, you know that the ball just curled around him. And then just a couple of minutes. Yeah, I mean, later, yeah. Oh no! You can go and finish. Your oh, yeah, I was just going to finish with the goal and then and then ask you uh, your thoughts on the game. And then uh, you guys, you know, miss another one on a set piece. So, um, you know, I, I looked at the stats. You guys have, I think, the most goals against on set pieces. And Atoro Rodriguez takes a corner. Callum Montgomery makes a little bit of a run to the near post, flicks it on, and goes over the head of the defender covering the near post. So it was a pretty nice header, but um, you know, pretty unlucky there. Uh, Otherwise, you know, you guys had a few chances and, you know, you had two really, really good chances actually late later in the game, but just could not break through. Elliot, you know, you're, you know, briefly on your feelings in this game. <laughs> um, I think, you know, seeing the, Lion- the Lionsbridge game, I saw a lot in this game of what Beulah is trying to implement. I do think we got the formation however wrong. I still don't understand why we put, you know, Bodoc, who hasn't played a game I think he's missed the last four. We put him at right back where Lockerbie has been arguably one of the best players at the right back position in his league. Um, on the first goal, you could definitely tell that the carry got caught off his line. And like you made a point about it, he's might be trying to play the one-on-one. But you could just tell he just got stuck. And Thomas Roberts, grant credit to him. He takes advantage of the situation and puts a well-placed ball in. Um, I think if you took the First 20 minutes talks about it really shows a lot of the problems wrong with the kickers right now. Uh, mentality, you know, how you know, first 10 minutes or so, we had a great plan, you know, and then we get punched in the mouth in three minutes, and it's kind of like the air just get took out of our sails. 32nd minute, you know, they do a hydration break. We bring on Key White, who just got signed two days before that, and we look like a totally, totally different team. I mean, granted, we create chances, but the midfield for us seems to be our worst part right now, and it's kind of like the same thing in American football. If you don't have a great quarterback, you're you're normally not going to be a good team, and the kickers right now, midfield, that seems to be like our biggest weakness, and because we get overran, you know? I think we were playing like a 4-1-4-1 formation where Maxi was like the lone person in the midfield at some points where North Texas had three, four people around him. You know, Mexico only put out so many fires before eventually the whole house is going to burn down. So something that didn't quite happen in this game, but in other games, uh, Jason and I had noted in the past is you guys do have really good buildup and wind up having control of a lot of the ball, but then you end up, you know, not being able to do a lot with it in the final third. But but there were a couple of moments of brilliance in this game. You know, the 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 Lockerbie chance was quite nice. Like the combination for that chance was really really good and uh, the fact that he was able to get it on his left foot after uh, a little quick give and go was was pretty impressive so you know do you think for for the kickers it's you know it is that style or is it just that they don't take chances like that enough right like like so I mean, which, which is it? Is it style or because when you look at the possession stats, the, the uh, like this game was was an interesting an interesting example of it. When you look at the possession stats, you're about fifty fifty in in each uh, in in the offensive third. So each team had the same the ball the same amount in the offensive third, but you know North Texas gets two goals and you know you guys don't and it seems to me like you guys sometimes try and go too direct. Like Joe Gallardo seems like a good player, but he sometimes on the ball too long. Right. So like you said, he's not the quarterback that you guys need. Yeah. Uh, 
I mean, definitely. I actually need to go look at the USL stats before we did the podcast. And Joe Variardo is in the top 20 for Richmond Kickers for shots and shots on goal, which is a good thing and also a bad thing. When we're winning games, it's great that Joe Gallardo, you know, takes over a game, but he doesn't have enough help, unfortunately. Um, Lockerbie probably had our best ch- chance. I feel like if that goes going at the 50th minute, it's a totally different game because North Texas, outside of maybe one or two chances, really didn't create as much as they did the first game. Um. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just I put know, it this man. way: they had they had three shots on goal, and they scored two of them, right? So yeah, you exactly. know, they had one chance outside of the goals. And I don't know, man. It's just so it's just so weird about the kickers right now because it's like we can't create the chances, but we could get right there in front of their final eighteen. I mean, like in Wape, for instance, had an excellent chance in front of goal, and. If the mentality is better, if we're not stuck in our own head, I feel like Mwapi finished that chance. But he overthought, he overthinks it and takes an extra touch in the box and gets it blocked. You know, so we need someone else in the kick. I think the main thing that Beulah has to do is figure out the lineup. Um, and definitely a formation change going from the 4-1-4-1. He probably has to switch to a 4-3-3 or possibly even going back to the 4-2-3-1 to get Maxi some help. You know, that's why I feel like we got our best chances at. Well, going up against the uh, the number one and number oh, yeah. two goal scorers in the league is not fun either, right? So Ricardo yes. Pepe and Ronaldo Damas both bone, on the field. Yeah. Also, I have a bone to pick with North Texas. Why did you decide this game? I mean, granted, Richmond isn't great. But why did you choose this game to bring Pepe back? Like, he's he's been all playing USL, OP Cup, starting MLS matches, and then they're like, you know what? We're going to send him back to USL to League One. Like, why? Why us? Like, why us? Send that man, send him to San Antonio, Austin Bowl, send him somewhere else. He's too good for if, League One. Even better, get Matt Spear to call up uh, to call up Dan Hunt and see if maybe he'll loan loan him for the rest of the season to you guys. As long as you don't, because you guys don't play him anymore, I don't think. Do you? You guys no. haven't you guys played North Texas? No, we have one more game. Oh, you one do. One more game, okay. but it's in September. But okay. you, you know, they're probably going to send the whole Dallas A team down for that game. And be like, hey, you guys, you know, <laughs> get some playing time against the kickers. <laughs> yeah. Well, God. Uh, well, hopefully that won't happen. Um, so, no, but this is the other thing. It's weird. Real quick, this is the third time we played a team where they brought in a new player. FC, you know, FC Tucson brought in the kid from um, uh, LAFC, the center back. Chattanooga brought in their lone player from El Paso, and now North Texas. Like, I don't know if we're just a picking team. <laughs> they just like go here and play out the practice players. Work. I don't know, but that does seem kind of kind of weird. I don't know if that's happened to any other team. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely happened to every team that I think Forward Madison's played because they brought in a whole bunch of new players <laughs> at different times. Yeah, I can't even keep up with Madison squad, you know, half the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so speaking about Madison, so also on Saturday, forward Madison played uh, home to Chattanooga Red Wolves, and forward Madison scored one goal to Chattanooga Red Wolves, one goal. Uh, the first goal happened in the 20th minute. Connor Tobin scored from Danny Tenorio. Uh, Tenorio took a uh, driven corner that went right to the top of the six, and Connor Tobin uh, made a run into the box and was able to basically out-jump the other defenders and flick it. It had actually hit the inside of the far post. It looked like a pretty nice rehearsed set piece to me. Uh, the other one was in the late late in the game in the 77th minute. Zagoro came uh, came was on came on the field, and Zagoro looked like a beast. Actually, uh, he made cross after cross. It was very seemed very dangerous to me. But uh, but another Ghanaian. So we're talking about our third Ghanaian of the night here. Um, Nicholas Am <laughs> Amponsa. I, I did get the phonetics. I'm trying to do better with my pronunciation, by the way, everyone. So just so you know, I, I do have my. Uh, my phonetic spelling, but I, I, I'm not good at reading them either. But Nicholas Imponsa. You're better than me. That's a, that's a good thing. You're better than me. <laughs> Uh, so Nicholas Imponsa scores. So what, what happened with this one was there was a, a corner taken by Zagoro. The ball ends up being cleared out, but it ends up back with Zagoro on the left-hand side. 
side. Zagora then crosses it back in, and Imponsa, uh, Imponsa was making this far run. He must have been about on the 18, but runs into the 6 and beats his defender from the inside. He's able to make a diving header. It was pretty acrobatic, nice diving header. Um, he beat the defender to the inside and was able to stay ahead of him. Um, there was a little bit of a shout for a push or something. I don't think it was. I think both of them were you know, kind of going for the ball, and if anything, probably Imponsa was was, uh, was pushed, but he, but he made it in. Um, Madison did look a little bit more dangerous in this game to me, and they had several good chances. You know, the best chance for Chattanooga, other than the goal, uh, occurred just a couple of minutes before uh, the uh, the ultimate tying goal. But it was Zagoro again. Zagoro wound up with a driven cross, uh, dribbles to the end line, gets a driven cross into BD, but Connor Tobin's there to clear it away. Uh, Nicholas Imponso also made a, a, a goal line clearance in the game. Uh, but my man of the match, quite frankly, was Mangles again. I mean, Mangles, the goalkeeper for Chattanooga Red Wolves, again, made several acrobatic stops. And, you know, given the fact that you had sig- a significant number of corners, you had, uh, you know, four shots on target, he made three saves, um, was, you know, pretty impressive, quite frankly, uh, from uh, uh, for, for me. Elliot, did you have any uh, any thoughts on this particular match? I mean, we were talking about it earlier. This is definitely the oddest rivalry in USL League One. <laughs> like, I would like if you would have asked anyone at the beginning of the year, what two teams do you think will be like potential rivals? I don't think anyone would pick Ford and Chattanooga. But like, I mean, granted, it was a good game on the field, but off like just watching the stands and seeing them on social media. I don't know what it is, but Ford has it out for Chattanooga, and Chattanooga has it out for Ford. Uh, Madison is oddly one of the most surprising teams of this year because they, you know, they were having their early struggles, and they've been one of the hotter teams. And definitely Chattanooga has been one of the hotter teams. Um, I do think Chattanooga, some of their old traits started to show up, almost like Greenville. I think they were struggling offensively. Um, because forward is, also had a lot of away games early in the year as well. So yeah. I think one of the reasons why their form's been better is they've had a lot of home games. Uh, yeah, so, uh, recently. I mean, definitely. So, I mean, playing in front of that crowd, the energy, the atmosphere is the best in the league. I mean, it. You see, I'm stuttering to say that as like a kicker fan, but it is. It's one of the. It's like one of the best soccer atmospheres in U.S. soccer. Um, but. Yeah, you can just tell. Like they're just a better, they're a different team at home. Uh, but back to the point about Chattanooga, I feel like they were just struggling offensively to create. You know, I feel like they're like Lancet at the beginning of the year. How Lancet was counterattacking, and if they could go in a straight direction at you, they are hard to stop. But once you make Chattanooga slow down and have to think on the ball and try to create, they struggle with that. And I feel like that's what Forward did a lot to them, was just pretty much take control of the midfield and just put a stronghold on it to force Chattanooga out to the wings where they're not the quickest team and then they have to create. And that's not Chattanooga's strong suit. Strong suit. Um, but yeah, like it, I mean, Mangles definitely, like we've made the point again and again, right? we will keep making the point. If Chattanooga does not have Mangles, they are not a top team. No, that yeah, this easily could have been three one to to forward. Yeah. yeah, easily if it wasn't for Mangles. Yeah. For sure. So look, previewing week 17 on Friday again at 4 o'clock, uh, we have TFC2 hosts Lansing Ignite, another, I guess you would call it regional derby, if you if you will. On Saturday, Greenville Triumph hosts the FC Tucson, and North Texas uh, SC hosts South Georgia Tormenta, and then finally the – well, not quite finally, but Richmond Kickers, you guys host OCB. Better in the last OCB. play, in the number one draft pick, Darby. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And then on, uh, and then actually on Wednesday, the twenty fourth, there's a, a the first game of week eighteen. That's OCB hosting South Georgia Tormenta. So um, I don't know. We could probably figure out what highway goes down there, and and that that's some kind <laughs> of Darby. But uh, you know, the one I think we need to talk about a little bit here are the teams that are one and two in the table playing each other. So North Texas versus South Georgia Tormenta. Like we mentioned, South Georgia Tormenta's lost two in a row. They've only lost three games all season, but two of them were the last couple of weeks. North North Texas, obviously, one of the uh, you know, obviously the the cre- cream of the crop, quite frankly. 
what do we, you know, what can South Georgia Tormenta do in order to stop this very potent attack of North Texas? Uh, I'm trying to think because we had no success against them. I think the best example is what you have to do against North Texas is pretty much you're, you're pretty much going to have to slow the game down. Like you are going to have to play that game where you're getting cheap fouls, you slow the game, and you don't let North Texas to get into a rhythm. Um, you know, <laughs> you're almost going to have to do, like, the bad boys piston rules of, like, the, the Jordan rules. Like, I feel like you have to do it against North Texas. Like, you have to, you know, if you tell one of your defenders, like, hey, look, I need you to get inside Peppy's head, that's what it's going to take against North Texas. Because you see it, like, you know, they're the best offensive team in the league. They got the top two goal scorers in the league. You know, they have a bunch of young talent around the league, but you're going to have to get in their head and you're going to have to slow the game down. You cannot let North Texas get into a rhythm. And, you know, and I think this is the best team. South Georgia Tumita is the best defensive squad in the league. Um, they can slow them down tremendously. I forgot how the last game went against them, um, but I. That's my thing. What do you think they have to do, Ira? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think the thing for South Georgia is probably to give up attacking a little bit with your uh, w- with kind of wingbacks and basically keeping people home because you you almost have to man mark Pepe and uh, like maybe you just have to like put Phelps on Pepe and then put someone who's a little bit quicker on Ronaldo Damas because I think da- you know Pepe is very smart. But I, I do mm-hmm. think Damus is a little bit quicker, so you might have to just try and man mark them and just make sure that they're covered and don't get them. Make sure that they don't get the service, um, which could be really frustrating, right? These are young kids who, you know, if, if they don't get the ball and you know they feel this, you know, hand on their back all the time, you know, not pushing, just saying, "Hey, I'm here." You know, you're not going to get away from me. Um, you know that that uh, that's probably what they have to do. So, you know, we'll, we'll you know we'll see. It's going to be you know I think that's the match of the weekend. I mean, that's the match that, you know, all three of these games on Saturday are all kick off at the same time. But that's the one that I'm going to be watching live if, uh, if, if yeah. I can. So, Oh, yeah, most definitely. So very quickly, the, uh, the standings after week 16 and the points per game is still North Texas SC at the top with 2.2 points per game. That's really amazing, quite quite frankly. South Georgia Tormenta <laughs> losing two in a row is now at 1.79 points, which means that the Chattanooga Red Wolves, should they win and South Georgia lose, they will be in a virtual dead heat. Uh, TFC 2 at 1.47 points per game is right behind uh, Chattanooga. In fact, if Chattanooga loses and TFC gets a draw, TFC ends up in, in third. So just super duper tight. And basically all the way down to forward Madison in eighth place at 1.19. Those are all of those teams are basically within four points of each other on a points per game basis. Um, you know, but Richmond and OCB still uh, under one point per game and, and struggling. Uh, yeah. With that, let's go to some fan questions. Uh, you know, it's first question is who is the best team in the league right now? Who? So let's 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 say let's say this. So Chattanooga, the last their last five games, and they have not lost since May eighteenth. So let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Chattanooga has not lost since May eighteenth. Their last five games, they've won two and drawn three. Every other team has at least one loss. The only other team that maybe you could say is still the best team in the league is North Texas because they're three one and one now. They so they only they still have only one loss, but but those three wins. So, um, you know, interestingly, it means that they've only in in the last five games, North Texas has only gotten one more point than Chattanooga actually. So, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I, I still have to go with North Texas. Uh, so as as the first best team, so I, I guess that makes the Red Wolves my second best team. How about how about you, Elliot? Do you, do you think maybe that switched, or is there someone else who's kind of? No, I, I huh? think I say this. I think about out of the top, I go top five: um, North Texas, um, Tormenta, Chattanooga, Toronto, and Lansing. The top five teams in your standings, points or game. If you were to put them in the championship, how would East team do? North Texas will be probably in playoff position. The second best team, oddly enough, I'm putting South Georgia. You know, granted, they lost the last two, but outside of that, they've been the best defensive team. 
they have enough creative talent to where if it's needed, they can create those extra chances. And I mean, they're a stable team in the franchise. I think, you know, Chattanooga has been on a great run, but I think they just, you know, they've been in a good run of form. Um, there are still major problems that I think gets glossed over when you're winning that shows up when you're losing, mm. you know? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so I think, you know, stable team throughout, I think, is South Georgia um, and North Texas. So I think the top two teams in the standing are probably the best two teams in the league. Next question. Is the refereeing affecting the game to the point where something should be said? Well, I think something has been said because apparently Nate Miller has contacted the league about the uh, the officiating. I don't know what what could be said. Do you think, Elliot? I mean, obviously, I mean protests to you know to the professional refereeing organization. I mean, I don't even know. Oh, he's taken out his notepad. He's writing a note. So Elliot is showing us. Oh, VAR. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> exactly. Video is yeah. So, and that's look. Bring look, this is the thing, man. If you're gonna have VAR at MLS, just bring it to the rest of the leagues. Like, I can understand that bringing it to USL League Two because it's mixed between pro and amateur. But when it's professional, just treat the championship in League One the same. Just bring VAR. Like we said earlier, it's not hard to set up because you can have you know all these commentators commentating out of ESPN office in Connecticut or Orlando, wherever the heck they had the office at, you can set up a VAA office, have, you know, three or four referees watching, paying attention to each game. Because I think outside of, what, one weekend this year, you haven't had five games going on at once. You had three or four. So you can set up the office, have referees viewing the game, make sure we get the right calls, call in any of these guys, set it up that way, and it's done, it's proper, it's safe. So you're not worrying about Oh, this referee has made this horrible decision. You have VAR, VAR there to set it up. Right. Just set so, it that way. Yeah, and really probably just for the four match-changing decisions, right? So penalties yeah. and you know red cards and basically the same thing as they do in, in Major League Soccer. Exactly. So there is a cost to that, obviously, but uh, might be worth it to avoid some of the angst that players, coaches, and fans uh, get now. So another question, I think this one came from Jason, who I believe might be listening right now, but it was not able Hi, to- Hi, Jason. I replaced you for this episode. <laughs> Which player who is not getting consistent playing time could help out another team? He suggests maybe Steven St. Duke, Bermudez, or Delgado, or someone else. So I, I would argue with this one, I would take Bermudez off, uh, kind of off this, because he's he hasn't he hasn't been starting, but he's gotten on the, the pitch almost every time, and he's been an impact player uh, almost every time he's on the pitch for for Greenville. So I, I would yeah. take him off the off the the, the the table. You have anyone who you think uh, you know could you know basically switch teams and make an instant impact on them, and outside of you know a Pepe or Ronaldo Damas? I mean, let's, <laughs> let's let's stick to the six independent teams. How would we do that? Yeah. Um... I think if you put, let's see, if you put St. Duca on Richmond, it will help out a lot because I feel like St. Duca will fill in our hole at one of the winger positions because um, I feel like that's been a bleeding hole for us. We don't know who to put in that left wing position, and it kind of leads to a domino effect of other positions because we're taking a striker and putting them there. So that, uh, I'm trying to think who else. I don't, Stephen. Well, no, Speedy gets a lot of playing time. I'm trying to think who else doesn't get a lot of playing time that can really help out. Yeah, I mean, that that was something that I was trying to think about is, you know, these are, I think, St. Duke and Delgado are interesting ones. Um, there's not many other players who I would say probably have been starters and then have his playing time has gone down. So, yeah, I mean, St. Duke is probably the obvious example because he started the first game and you haven't heard a P from him since. Yeah, I mean, um, well, he had he had he's scored a few goals and and been involved with some play uh, occasionally off the bench, but yeah, it hasn't been consistent. I think he could help you guys. I think that if Steve St. Duke went to you guys or Greenville, he would make an instant impact because I think he oh, does yeah. have a little bit more of a goal scoring adeptness than than you know some of the players that that you guys have now, like a chin and. You guys don't have a natural striker, it seems, and you know you guys kind of need a more of a striker kind of person. 
And Delgado, next, you, man. Delgado next to Gallardo. Ooh, that could actually be an interesting, interesting field <sighs> ten combination. It would be, it would be lovely. <laughs> I just wanted to score goals, man. I just. That's all I want. Yeah, I hear you. That's all I want. So <laughs> Stephen Hernandez, our, our friend Stephen, who uh, I believe is watching on YouTube right now as we record, he says that he wants a possession is tra- is a trash stat T-shirt. So this comes Facts. from Jason. this comes from Jason a couple of weeks ago who said possession is a trash stat. My response to Jason and to everyone else is, it's not a trash stat. It's just descriptive. It's not a stat that, like, if you win the possession battle, it doesn't mean that you'll win the game, but it does describe the game and what happened during the game. And so what's interesting is that if a team has 60% possession and the other team ends up winning, then it's probably that, you know, one team was playing a possession type of game, the other team was playing counterattack or high pressure and, uh, and wants the other team to have the ball and just presses forward. That's what I'd like to do. I, I think a better stat is probably possession in the final third, right? So looking at, you know, how much you've possessed in the final third. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing in football about, like, time of possession. Like, it's a useless stats, but people use it to the argument when they're winning. Like, Richmond, for instance, when we were winning, I was using, you know, possession every which way. And now that we're losing, I'm like, oh, don't pay attention to that. That doesn't matter. Um... <laughs> I think possession, like you said, helps when you're in the final third because that's when you score your opportunities. I think also possession in the opposite third is also an interesting stat because that shows you how a team is building out of the back versus if they're just kicking the ball along. Um, but, yeah, if y'all guys do make a possession as a useless stat shirt, let me know because I will be the first one to buy it. I think Steven's already got, gotten the first one. We'll tell you why. We'll, we'll ship it out at the same time so we won't know. Great. <laughs> <laughs> So, Elliot, thanks very much for coming on the show again. Really appreciate it. Where can people connect with you? You can follow the podcast at River City 93 and go check out our podcast. Like, view, and subscribe. Leave us some reviews. You know, we're trying to build our brand out here. Got to do it, especially if you're a fan of USL League One or, and especially if you're a fan of the Richmond Kickers. Uh, definitely have to subscribe to that. Great interviews, yeah, exactly. as good breakdowns of all of the Richmond Kickers games in much more detail than we do on this show, which is more of an overview kind of show where Elliot's podcast is much more specific. I can be found at Ira Jersey. Jason, who, believe me, he's, you look, he is, he is around. He just can't be on the show, but he is an integral part of it. He can be found at Home Sweet Soccer on Twitter. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and check out bgn.fm for other great soccer podcasts and written content covering USL League One, USL Championship, USL League Two, NWSL, and much more. Thanks to our sponsor, Golden Gold Press, the best choice to get your custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items for yourself or your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price of other places at goldengoldpress.com. And thanks to Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. And once again, Elliot, thanks very much for being on the pod tonight. No problem, man. Also remember, possession sucks and we need VAR. (laughs) There you go. Thanks for listening to League One Fun. Have a great week.